0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today's episode is called The Transparency Warrior Versus Vested Interests. Transparency is a core pillar for trust and democracy to function as intended. However, over recent years, transparency has been obscured and trust in our institutions and government seems to be at all time lows. Often vested interests with vast power and wealth win out over the common interests of everyday people. Here at Nucleus Wealth, transparency is one of our core values and it governs everything we do. There are a few who are fighting the good fight And today, I'd like to welcome one of those truly courageous individuals. Rex Patrick, a.k.a. the Transparency Warrior, is here to join us today. If you don't already know, Rex has worked tirelessly on trying to improve Australia. Through the Freedom of Information process, he has submitted more applications than anybody else. He has championed issues like the transparency of our politicians, the East Coast gas market, and many others. Rex, welcome. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for all you've been fighting for.
1: Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Excellent. Absolute pleasure to have you here as well. Today, as always, I'd like to welcome Damien Klassen, Nucleus Wealth's co-founder and Chief Investment Officer. Damo, welcome. Hi, Sam. Thanks, Damo. My name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Senior Financial Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. Just a reminder, the information in this podcast is general advice and does not take into account your personal financial situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation, you can go to our website at newkillerswealth.com forward slash contact, and you can book a call with me for a no-obligation chat. We are live every Thursday at 12.30 Australian Eastern Time, so jump on the New Killers Wealth YouTube channel, and you can ask any questions that come to mind, and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. You can also follow us on your preferred podcast platform, as our show is available on all the majors. That's all the formalities. So, Damio, I'll hand it over to you to get the ball rolling.
2: Yeah, thanks, Sam. So, look, I wanted to get Rex on today because he's, uh, as you said, for a, for a bunch of reasons about transparency that you know is 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 it something we hold very core cool, uh, key to our hearts. Um, from an investment perspective, the way I look at this very much is that there's a bunch of companies out there who are very, very good at offering government, governments an excellent deal um, until the next election and a terrible deal for the rest of eternity. And um, those companies, you know, for the last 10, 20 years have been excellent companies to invest in. A- and the big issue for those guys is um, you, know, when do things turn, when when does finally the the the... the the straw breaks the camel's back and and we actually start to see legislation um sort of affecting these uh we have a number of ways so what we try to do at nucleus is invest sort of agnostic to um to to different um thoughts about what shouldn't shouldn't be in from an ethical point of view uh and then we let our investors go through and choose you know whatever it is human rights um uh, you know various practices, social. Um, there's about a hundred different screens we've got, screens and tilts you can you can do, and so. Um, but but all along the way, I guess we're, we're very interested in in the process. And uh, Rex uh, was senator for a long time uh, for South Australia, and we want to sort of dig into some of the key things he spoke about. So I, might, I guess I'd probably start with um, I guess the the big big picture, which is uh, this whole idea of, of transparency in government and um and you know it's obviously you know, very important but I, I might jump in with say the the pwc where we've seen um you know a, a consultant who's effectively trying to play both sides take give government advice about tax on on one side and, and and give their own corporate clients um uh advice about how to how to get around that same tax um and and the the issue we have with consultants sort of starting to to really run the show and i guess um, uh, the, the idea of frank and fearless advice from from the public service is sort of being whittled down by as as people who give frank and fearless advice seem to be seem to be fired and moved on. So without a sort of an entry stage, I'll, I'll pass across to you, Rex, and we'll jump into a lot a lot
1: of different things. I'm sure as we go. Yeah. Look, thank you very much. I'll just start off with maybe some basic principles. Uh, mm-hmm. Firstly, uh, things like FOI apply to government agencies. Uh, yep. the I'm sorry people- just,
2: just just to clear for people this is freedom of information
1: request it's yep. yes. freedom of information request so we have legislation in Australia that grants people a right for access to information. information that the government holds is't in, in actual fact legislation directed at at transparency of government. Um, now that doesn't mean we have uh, full transparency over things like how our missiles, In the air force perform or how deep our submarines go or what operations the police are conducting there certainly are some exemptions but the general principle is that the government works uh, for public purpose using public funds and the public actually actually has a right to have a say in what's going on and indeed uh, scrutinize uh, the government so uh, on the flip side as a private citizen the default position is is not transparency it's actually privacy and until such time as you uh, breach uh, some law uh, generally you are uh, you are entitled to uh, uh, pr- privacy um, businesses somewhere in the middle um, I think uh, uh, obviously businesses are conducting their affairs in amongst the public there's in my view there's got to be some disclosures around what it is they're doing and how it is that they're doing uh, doing things. There will be needs, a need for secrecy, you know, secrecy a, as they develop products, as they develop strategies, so their competitors can't see. But in terms of ethical conduct, um, I mm. think uh, uh, similar principles apply. And I yeah. think... And actually, I should I should overlay as well, like from a governance
2: perspective, we, we do actually treat governance as something important within companies we invest in, and... and- the statistical studies I've seen that basically show that look governance is is pretty good at 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 helping to um, portfolios to perform like a, a little bit sorry it's a very small bit but actually what it really does help is that it helps avoid some really big blow ups so so to, so the worst effects are usually companies that have bad corporate governance hide everything um, sometimes those companies do really well. But every every now and again, when you get the big blow ups, they're almost always the ones that
1: are are very secretive and hiding and and not telling
2: people what they're up to.
1: Well, that's right. And and, and transparency does a couple of things. Firstly, it makes people perform better. Um, Hmm. When they're being watched, they perform better. The other thing is it helps to avoid uh, any sort of corruption or misfeasance or malfeasance. Um, There's a famous saying that there's not a dodge or a trick or a swindle. Um, or a cheat that doesn't live by secrecy—they um, all do. So, just going back to the the concept on 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 our uh, on one hand, we have uh, uh, government that's transparent. Then we have our citizens that are uh, uh, private. There is a need for transparency in amongst the corporate sector, and uh, that expands whenever a corporation deals with government. One of the things you surrender as a company when you start to engage uh, with government, which means you're in receipt of public funds, is a need for there to be greater transparency around your operations. Um, Companies like uh, PwC, some of the other big consulting firms, are notorious for their secrecy. Very little reporting um, uh, because of the way that they're structured. You don't really get to see uh, what's going on. Uh, And look, in this instance, we've had uh, the Australian uh, Tax um, uh, Practitioners Board note something that's gone on that's really blown up in PwC's face, Uh, that is that they were playing both sides of the fence. and I always have difficulty with companies that uh, seek to to support government and take government contracts, uh, effectively taking the public coin. Uh, whilst on the other hand advising companies uh, you know, just in the normal uh, sense uh, how to minimize uh, their tax now there's nothing unlawful about minimizing tax um, but when you are aggressive about it that creates uh, creates a problem because we want companies to be able to contribute uh, to the very uh, uh, environment that they that they reside in you know that you know, companies can't come in, and enjoy uh, the benefits of our security, of our police forces, of our judiciary, of our, our hospital systems for our workers, uh, of um, the education system that we provide, and then contribute nothing. That's, that's that. That there's a social license problem with that. So we, you know, companies that pay no tax at all, and I, I might point out, it's not companies that pay no tax; it's the directors uh, of companies that. Cause uh, them, mm. them to, to um, avoid tax, so it's not just about a, in the case of PwC, it's not just about a conflict of interest um, uh, working for both sides, but there's a co- there's a conflict of moral um, mm. uh, in there as well. Uh, and look, I'm hoping that this will get some of this will get sorted out. I note uh, that the finance minister in the last three or four days has issued. Uh, a new policy direction for public officials to make sure they uh, incorporate um, the past performance of companies and particularly notes things like breaches of confidentiality into their procurement decisions, which might yeah. seem like an obvious thing, uh, but uh, actually hasn't been uh, taking place uh, in uh, in the past. So that's you know we're already seen a good measure come out of. Um, what is a very bad uh, situation Uh, again uh, these the sort of conduct that has been described um, in inside pwc is something that could not live were there transparency were there the proper governance arrangements in place so yeah you know um uh, as Damien has, uh, as you're saying, Damien, you know, governance helps to avoid those sorts of um, um, uh, hiccups oh, yeah. and problems that then yeah. blow out to major problems. And we're we've basically seeing PwC now in crisis mode, uh, with international directors flying in to deal with what is a very sordid problem. Yeah, but but I guess um, I, I think my
2: overall take is well, this is one of you know a number of major consulting groups do i think this is limited just to to pwc maybe this particular issue was and maybe they they're the one that got caught with a hand in the cookie jar but um there there seems to be a strong there would be a strong incentive within all these firms to at least push the boundaries in terms of these you know yeah by-
1: i i was always very suspicious when you walk into companies and and on and the on the uh, on the just behind the front desk they have this this uh, Picture that, uh, or or a frame that says these are our corporate values, and mm. I always go and you know, want to lift up and look at the back to see whether the real corporate value no, is it right? make make money at any cost. Yeah, uh, and uh, look, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with profit. Um, there's not, nothing wrong with with making money, but I think um, morally and ethically, people have to. Uh, be comfortable they have to be able to wake up in the morning look at themselves and say i'm happy with uh, the way in which i contribute to society and that Mm -hmm. that means you have to you know you have to not take 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 you have to give back and you have to operate in a manner which which is um, uh, proper and lawful yeah
2: so okay so so in terms of um how i would look at this you know as as a cynical analyst is that or and, and as not somebody involved in you know, haven't been involved in sort of the know the, the innards of, of parliament is look, um yeah, there'll be an inquiry, maybe PWC will be hung out to dry and and but um and, and their their contracts will get shuffled over to the other couple of consultants for a few years and then eventually they'll work their way back in and, and nothing really will change though in, in, in the scheme of things. Um am I wrong or, or do you think there will actually be this could be the the start of okay. We actually need to build the public service back
1: up more and 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 not have as many consultants. Oh, look, I think it's a good thing that we grow uh, the public service back up. Um, what what we've seen. Sorry, like, and I'm
2: not, what I'm not asking which do you think? Because I'm I'm assuming yes, you're in the second. I'm asking sorry, I'm asking which do you think is is more likely
1: to actually happen? No, given, I understand. Uh, I understand. So, be, yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, and and it is always a danger. You know, people often describe government as a big like a big concrete ball rolling down a hill um, mm. where, you know, if you stand in front of it, you will get squashed. Um, you know, what you've got to do is push on the side of it for a, for a reasonable amount of time with a reasonable amount of force and it changes direction slightly. And, yep. uh, look, this, this incident may cause uh, that small change. You know, in my view, uh, companies that behave in the manner that um, that, that PwC has... Ought not to be allowed to, to tender for government programs uh, for a period of time. That's what they do in places like India. I'm not in any way suggesting that India is the is the you know, exemplar <laughs> uh, yep. in terms of uh, you know lack of uh, things like lack of corruption and so forth. But you know, that's a measure they have in place, and they do apply those sorts of sanctions uh, if companies are found to uh, have misbehaved. Yeah, and and yeah, you know, there's yeah. You know, so so I look. I hope that there is a reasonable uh, change here. I think this has a bit more to run. Uh, Senate estimates is on this week. Deb mm-hmm. O'Neill, Senator Deb O'Neill has uh, has been pursuing this with great force. Senator Pocock, um, Barbara Pocock from the Greens, um, and uh, you know I've been I've actually been talking to them in background uh, about this, and uh, with Senate estimates playing out particularly the Economics Committee next week, I think we'll see perhaps a, a little bit more action. And, you know, PwC, the leadership there, have to now take a very a strong position, but there there's a lot at stake for them. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I think sometimes you have to be really harsh to, to deter others.
2: Yeah, but so I, I guess so, like if I was going to typify what I, what, what I think the um that the base position is most of the independents yes think there should be change um the liberal party is probably happy with a slap on the wrist and a you know whatever it is but keep keep things going largely as they are and just uh you know do whatever it needs to do to move on to the next issue and the labor party probably doesn't want to rock too many boats and is happy just to sort of sit in the middle and and, and be pushed wherever public opinion takes it um is that, do, am I right in that characterization, or would you would you describe it differently?
1: Oh no! Look, I think that's 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 probably uh, close. But you know, uh, you got to recognise that uh, y- there's a few factors that come into play there. One of them is the the just the raw politics of how um, each of the parties uh, tend to think. Uh, then there's the issue of a party of government, so uh, they. Uh, generally, relatively conservative, and then you have people on the crossbench, the teals, uh, and the independents, uh, and uh, to a certain extent the greens, and and actually is a really interesting thing. Um, and I say this where I'm from, experience, uh, you know, having been an independent senator senator in a senate where I enjoyed balance of power in many circumstances. Part of our role as a, as a uh, as independents, or part of the role of independents is actually to call out the perfect position you know that it's not achievable but you call it out you do so deliberately because politics is about pressure you've got government who uh, actually um, uh, are lawfully governing the country that's uh you know, the departments headed by ministers and then you've got par- parliamentarians who can force change through the change of law uh, but uh um, they spend a lot of their time forcing change by uh, shining a light on things, by putting uh, things out there that say, that say, this is what we ought to do better. Um, and we use the media to do that. Uh, we use the platform inside the, the chambers of, of either the House or the Senate uh, to do that. That's what politics is actually about, is about pressure, putting pressure on government to change direction, pushing on the side of that big concrete ball. Mm.
0: So, Sam, do you want to jump to your... We'll be back with the investment insights very shortly. Nucleus Wealth is an active and passive investment manager. If you like what you're hearing and want some help with the investing, we can do it for you via our active portfolios. Our tactical and core portfolios use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage your investment. We blend tactical portfolios to offer our combinations of international shares, Australian shares, government bonds, and cash. We vary the asset allocation with the goal of protecting your capital in times of market uncertainty. We also have active international and Australian share portfolios. These are chosen using our quality and value investment philosophy. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show. Right, so... Changing tack a little bit.
2: Um, so the energy market. So we've obviously been through this. Uh, you know, we we put on a a, a gas trigger when you were um, well, I guess Turnbull put it on sort of a a long time ago, and and then we, we moved into the Labor government, and they spoke about having a price cap. Um, local prices in Australia have far exceeded uh, that price cap. Seems we all pretty quiet in the media front. Um, you know, I think Australians domestically are paying higher gas prices than what we're seeing in Europe at the moment and certainly what we're seeing in Asia, despite the fact our gas is being picked up and, and shipped there. Um, it does look as if... And, and, and again, I'm talking about East Coast gas. West Coast gas is fine. You know, WA's got reservations, so they're, they're all good. Um, it seems as if the the market's broken, and but nobody wants to admit it, and uh, we're just sort of pandering to the to the couple of oligopolistic players who, who are exporting all the gas... You have obviously been deeply involved in it. Do you want to, I guess, give your your take on the gas markets and what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, look, I I, uh, regularly and with a firm belief call out the cartel uh, Mm. as it is on the East Coast uh, market. Uh, I I think the cartel is extremely greedy. Uh, That sort of social stuff, uh, social licence stuff we were talking about before uh, there's a total absence of that uh, in uh, the gas uh, in the gas market, in my view. Um, look, I go back a, a fair way. You talked about Turnbull bringing in the ADGSM, the Australian Domestic Gas Security Mechanism. I was uh, the advisor to Nick Xenophon, who sat down with uh, Matthias Cormann, Um, and his uh, staff and did the initial negotiation. And what brought that on was back in 2017, um, we'd just seen all the gas trains turning on in Gladstone and uh, there were export contracts and uh, the large company, gas companies, couldn't extract enough gas. Some of their uh, uh, tenements weren't delivering the sort of output that they thought they would. And so what the gas companies did here, um, which again, huge breach of social licence, in order to meet their uh, export contracts, they simply sucked up all of the gas in the Australian market. And uh, it wasn't a case back in 2017 that the price was too high. The problem was we had people coming into our uh, into Nick Xenophon's office saying, we can't get a gas offer. We can't get a gas offer. And, uh, and we're the world's... Larger or largest or second largest exporter of LNG. I That's guess. right. And so, so what happened was uh, as part of the mm-hmm. negotiations, where the government reduced the corporate tax uh, for companies earning less than fifty million dollars, uh, mm-hmm. as part of the um, a sort of a deal that was done back then. Uh, the, w- there was the introduction of the ADGSM and and what that did was basically put a trigger in. Uh, that if uh, AEMO and uh, the ACCC thought that there was going to be a gas uh, shortfall on the East Coast market the following year, then the minister could pull a trigger that effectively stopped the exports. Now, that actually brought about some change in conduct, uh, but unfortunately, and you you have to learn uh, as you go along, what happened was the gas companies then ensured that there was always... Uh, gas in the market, but only just enough yeah. so that the price was always high. Then we got to 2019, where uh, we we saw a situation where uh, uh, gas, our gas that had been liquefied and transported to Japan, was was cheaper uh, per gigajoule than what you could get it here in Australia. So again, there was supply. So then in 2019, when the corporate tax cuts were negotiated, uh, I sat down with Matt Canavan, uh, Senator Matt Canavan, who was the minister at the time and uh, Senator Cormann and uh, negotiated a further change to the uh, ADGSM that basically said, we're now going to include a price element to this. Where if there's a, a difference in the price, then um, then the 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 trigger could also be pulled, and now we've seen in in uh, the, in modern uh, uh, under the current government we've seen a further change where uh, it's not a case of looking every twelve months; they look every three months. And mm-hmm. That allows the trigger to be pulled on a much more regular basis. But all of that is about uh, altering the conduct of. Uh, the, the the gas uh, market uh, players, and it it irks me. It just frustrates um, me when I read, uh, and it's typically the AFR, Australian Financial Review, and the Australian, who are writing up stories saying that some of the market intervention uh, in on the East Coast market will, in actual fact, end up with a circumstance where there simply won't be enough gas uh, on the East Coast market when. The law uh, as it stands now is that um, if there's a shortage, the trigger can be pulled and it can now be pulled every three months. Um, mm. A decision uh, can be made. Uh, and so we we will never find ourselves uh, in the situation where our politicians won't pull that trigger to uh, ensure Australians have gas over uh, international players. I can absolutely assure you that no politician would allow a circumstance for the exports to continue while we had no gas here. That just will not happen, and the law permits the government now to, uh, to to intervene in that manner. So every time you see that in the Fin Review or you see it in the, the Australian, please ignore it. It's actually, uh, I've, 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 never, I've never said this before, but it's fake news. Yeah. I- <laughs> so, look, the question is, though, for me is,
2: um, like, our, our if we look, sort of our rates that the wholesale gas rates uh and sort of the i guess the wholesale electricity prices and 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 what we're seeing in terms of gas prices it looks as if um you know there's a lot of firm talk last year and, and they sort of brought the prices back to this 12 cap and then once the news cycle moved on they've just let it run again and and we're back to paying prices that are higher than than what you can see offshore and yeah, i don't again. know whether that it, it's being said to be ignored by the mainstream media and i don't know if that's a um, if both, you know, if everyone's sort of happy with that situation,
1: or or if there's genuinely going to be action on it, yeah. Look, I I think uh, uh, yeah, it's a case of you've got to keep your eye on the ball. And again, this is where politicians end up uh, having to uh, put pressure on government to to act further. Uh, you know, we we've we've got to sort out our energy market. I, I want a country where we don't just export rocks, we don't just export lithium and we don't just export um, um, iron ore. Um, where we export lithium batteries, where we export uh, steel, where we don't export our research, we export our products. And you can't do that in an environment where you're paying an enormous amount of money uh, for uh, electricity. And it is electricity, it's gas, that sets the electricity price. You can look yeah. at the the... The, the graphs of how the gas price changes and the electricity um, price follows even with all the renewables here in South Australia uh, we see the same thing happening because what happens is when the winds sort of stops and the sun goes down uh, with, with, with a lack of base load um, the, um, the the gas turbines have to turn on and they charge uh, appropriately when they're um uh, you know, when they've been sitting idle all day, they, um, they need to recover their capital costs and their operating costs so that they, they turn on and it's, it's expensive. And that's, you know, that's where gas is setting the price for uh, for the electricity market. We, we yeah. have to fix this. Uh, you mentioned WA. They have the solution in place. And one of the things I negotiated in 2019 was that the government would consider... I wanted a, a retrospective, but they uh, they would only agree to a prospective uh, gas reservation policy. So, a policy for new um, gas uh, production, uh, mm. where, whereby a percentage of the um, production has to go into the East Coast market. Uh, yep. There was not, a consultation was carried out in uh, I think it was two thousand nineteen. Um, then COVID hit, and basically the the ability to progress that. Uh, became less of a priority and it's interesting I've uh, recently requested the results of that um, consultation in fact the options paper that went to the Morrison government to Angus Taylor um, and indeed the ministerial brief that went to Ang- Angus Taylor uh, and now the Albanese government has opposed me getting access to that under freedom of information laws that matters now in the AAT and I've said to the lawyers that are now representing the government that uh, the the exemption that has been applied to prevent me getting access to to, uh, this uh, information, and I only want this information so that people are informed when they have discussions uh, about solutions, um, uh, uh, the the, um, exemption claim that's being used is one that has a public interest override. And I've sort of said to the lawyers, if you think you're gonna win a case in the middle of a gas crisis uh, with the government intervening in the market and your case is gonna be, it's not in the public to, uh, interest to, to uh, release a document that goes to the solution to that, yeah. you know, I think we'll need to drug test you. And, uh, and in fact, the, the lawyers have gone back to the Department of, uh, of um, Energy uh, and Resources, and said um, and suggested they, they remake the decision, and the proceedings in the Administrative Appeals Tribunal have been stayed in effect until uh, to allow them to to rethink that proposition. But again, um, if we could see transparency in policy ideas, transparency in uh, pricing, uh, transparency uh, in the carriage of, of gas around the east coast, we'd be in a much better place. And look, there has been a little bit of that. Um, I don't know if uh, uh, people have clicked on to the idea. There is a continuous, a continuous ACCC inquiry into the gas market. Um, mm. uh, most people might wonder why there's a continuous inquiry. I'll give you the tip. Um, only when there's an inquiry running can the ACCC uh, exercise its extensive powers to just demand uh, access to contracts. And that's the reason why that, that inquiry is running, so that the A Triple C can keep an eye on everything that's going on. And, and there's a report I think pops out every half year um, mm. into the into the gas market. Um, but that's that's the inquiry is running is to allow the powers to be exercised to keep an eye on things. Transparency helps in those circumstances. Yeah, the,
2: the issue I guess the issue I keep going back to though is um, we, we've got higher gas prices, and what people do often. We're the biggest exporter of lng in the world or close to one of the the top two or three depending on which day you want to pick it from and we've got still got the highest gas prices and and you can pick places in europe that have lower gas prices and they're they're the ones with an energy crisis and you can pick places uh, in 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 asia and i guess what i'm coming back to is this doesn't seem to be um, as much as it's, it seems to be an exercise in can kicking. And, and, and I'm not accusing you of that. I think you're genuinely out there trying to, trying to do something about it. But it seems as if uh, whichever party is in power is, is happy to do a little bit of stuff and make some noises and then the prices come back down for a little bit and then everyone shuts up and, and the prices just shoot back up again.
1: Yeah, and you've seen, you've seen the same thing with PRRT. We know mm. that petroleum resource tax does not work. Yep. are not getting returns. We as Australians, who uh, uh, are the owners of the gas that is being uh, uh, extracted and, and sent offshore, uh, are not getting a, a proper royalty in relation to uh, in relation to that. And we look at you know, places like Qatar, who export a similar amount of gas, and mm. uh, they're paying a lot less for their gas, and they are also enjoying a huge royalty benefits, which then feed back into society, feed back to all those sorts of things I was talking about before um, that companies enjoy and and making sure that health systems are working properly and Mm -hmm. and people are being educated properly and so forth. Uh, So, um, again, it comes down to there always has to be pressure. And, look, part of what I'm doing with this this particular FOI that I've uh, requested I've got in play is to be able to get this document out. That'll create a news story. That'll create some interest. Uh, mm. It'll put some facts into the, the public domain, uh, and that's a that that's a good thing. I mean, one of the you know, governments, I can tell you, I, I was I, I used to help out uh, a government um, um, a senator, or sorry, a, a Liberal senator, and I used to do that purely on the grounds that he was the shadow defence minister, Senator David Johnston. Uh, I helped them all through. Sort of 2011 to 2013 on submarines because I'm mm. a former submariner. I yep. pressed him. I pressed him uh, and and helped him with a whole range of different questions on that. And I used to watch at estimates. We'd, we'd put all these questions on notice, and all these answers would come back, and you, and we'd pull our here and say they're not answering the question. They're not answering the question. In 2013, when he became the defence minister. Um, uh, he did invite me to become the naval advisor, and I declined. But I did go into his office one day, and his chief of staff called me up and said, Rex, have a look at these answers that we're going to provide to the opposition now. And uh, I sort of had a look, and he said, "Then he had his pen there. He's going, right, we're going to cross that out. I'm not going to tell them that. I'm not going to tell them that. I'm not going to tell them that. So, yeah, you know, you know um, the, 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 the perspective seems to change. When you are uh, in opposition, um, uh, and then in, then again in government, I I say uh, you know that transparency is a word that is only shouted from opposition benches. Now, <laughs> governments would just prefer, prefer that these yeah. annoying citizens would just let them get on and do their job without any input, um, without any oversight. Uh, that would be their perfect uh, environment. Of course, no one wants a dictatorship unless it's, unless you're the dictator. But um, uh, you know that that's that. Yeah, you know, that's part of the the, the the problem we have here is that there's this mm-hmm. sort of resistance to transparency. And um, you know, so, sometimes the other problem you have is, and this is just something uh, again insights I have as a former senator. Uh, sometimes you approach the government, you say, sorry, the opposition, you say, why don't you help? Why don't you back? Uh, me on this particular um, measure and they uh, they'll look and say uh, we can't do that because we're a party of government we're not in government but we're a party of government and if we do that when when we get in someone will try and hold us to uh to that uh, <laughs> <Right>. uh, <around laughs> there. someone so will actually hold us to standards, standards. Yes. yeah you exactly <laughs> know right so, so um you know that that's uh, uh you know uh, a sad The sad situation as to how it works, and again, but you're sort of coming back to your question. um, uh, We've seen uh, both the Liberal government and the Labor government failing to to address some of these issues, uh, um, the gas shortage, and indeed the royalties that flow uh, from our gas. It just hasn't been dealt with properly, and it's beyond me as to why. You know, they they talk about sovereign risk. We can't change anything because of sovereign risk. But the reality is that we have changed, and no one's left left the market. Uh, Western yeah. Australia changed to a reservation policy, and their gas industry grew. And so, uh, you know, this this issue of sovereign risk, uh, in my view, is is is, is um, Yeah. Well. well we,
2: yeah, and we we had a whole episode on when you know the peak of this gas crisis, talking about saying, you know, here's this East Coast gas market and everyone's talking about, oh, you know, it, things have it's failed. It, it's, you know, there's problems with the Ukraine. There's problems that everyone. It's all somebody else's fault. It's all somebody else's fault. And you're like, wouldn't it be great if we had, like, an example of somebody who didn't have, you know, who had gas reservation and and their own electricity network? And we do. It's in our country. We don't even have to oh. look at a different country. We go, Here is a, here's a case study with these people under exactly the same conditions they're fine. Gas mm-hmm. electricity prices are basically where they were and hadn't moved. And Here's the whole East Coast market and nobody's prepared to say, well, maybe we
1: failed. Maybe we've spent 20 years building something. that just doesn't work because... Yeah. And I, I also have a project management background and so the idea that if we change the mar- change the rules to ensure that a fair return was achieved by Australians would somehow cause an issue... Um, I, you know as a project manager when you look at uh, the regulatory regime that you're operating in you'd probably look at, it at you know the, the gas companies would have looked at this, this and said look these australians must be crazy at some stage they're going to change this would have been in their risk register yeah so um the the uh the the, the problem is that uh, we're so crazy that you know, even when we see what's going on, we're not changing it, and that's yeah. You know, and, and on top of the on top of the royalties, so as you said, they're
2: getting away scot free on the royalties, and they've all built up so much so massive um, uh, tax losses in terms of the the construction, and managed to throw as much in there that it's decades before they're
1: going to pay any income tax on this anyway. And so it's I, don't, I don't think they'll ever pay much tax on it. We've, yeah. we've effectively given away this this product that has uh, in, that has. Uh, hurt our own market because it, because of the, the high cost of energy. Prices, and in actual yeah. fact, also contributes to to um, climate change as well. You know, it's yeah, it's and, and, crazy. And the jobs
2: were in the maybe tens of thousands that we generated for a couple of years, and and now they're probably in the low thousands for you know the rest of it. Yeah. And so yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Energy markets are not helping us now, So you said on, on a committee of electric vehicles as well. So. Um, uh, I guess the, the, the bit for you know, I guess, I guess the policy side for vehicles for, in Australia seems to be that look, for a while there we had local manufacturing and so we needed to protect it and do have a bunch of things in place, and then we let everyone we let them all leave, um, but we never really got rid of the the tax breaks and, and benefits that we're trying to give to to our sector that we no longer there's no longer any reason to protect it because it's not here. Um, so and then we sort of move into electric vehicles, and I, I guess it's a probably a, a, a dual-sided one. Let's you know talk about that whole thing: is is why is there any any support in government for actually throwing open and trying to, um, I guess, you know, put put on a fuel standards and actually push these companies with a view that look none of them are local anyway. We may as well you know hold them to higher standards. Uh, and then secondly, the the whole transition to electric vehicles and how that sort of sits uh, as you're seeing it within governments as to whether it's um there's whether there's genuine change can be made or it's gonna be more that um there's a lot of talk about, yeah, yeah, will help out and there's a you know, a couple of dollars here
1: and a couple of dollars there, but but reality is it's sort of left to market forces to to, to sort out. Yeah, look, I I see electric vehicles is as absolutely low-hanging fruit for mm-hmm. any uh, side of government in terms of things like um emissions reduction. Um when you get yeah, one of the things you get with an electric vehicle is you get a, a vehicle that has less moving parts, so it's more reliable. Um, it, 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 it's operating cost is lower uh, as a function of uh, its lo- across its life uh, time, so it has a productivity be- uh, benefit. Um, we in Australia have uh, 22 days of uh, diesel fuel reserve. 26. Uh, 26- <laughs> Of petrol
2: and, and a strategic reserve, which is pretty much on the opposite side of the planet in the middle of a uh, landlocked in the middle of uh, the US. Oh, the, in
1: fact, the update to that is that uh, because I just recently did an FOI and a question time brief uh, yep. is that that was sold. So, oh, right. the, so the government the government bought 91 million Australian dollars worth of diesel and actually on a call from... Uh, the um, uh, International Energy Agency, um, because of the crisis in the Ukraine, uh, ended up selling it for, I think it was 186 million US dollars. So we actually right. made a profit on that. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, we don't have that reserve anymore. So we generally. Well,
2: have- and, and as a sub, you know, so you you're you're part of the armed forces before, weren't you?
1: So yes. so I'm I'm,
2: I'm just. I don't know tactically how strategic you consider a fuel resource that's in the middle, on the other side of the planet, but, it, and you, in the middle of uh, the US, you need to sort of get it, get it out of the middle of the US, then onto a ship, and
1: then across to Australia. It doesn't seem that, well, that strategic mean, I, in terms I, of I, a, a military I, side. I, one of the things I'm writing at the moment is, is an article that just goes to, um, uh, that goes to the, um, uh, the the real problem we do have on fuel security but so, but I, I did want to answer your question on electric vehicles first i just yeah indicate okay. that it's part of a solution to emissions but also helps to reduce our dependency on uh, these uh, oils uh, liquid fuels that we uh, are so heavily reliant on ninety percent of our uh, liquid fuel comes from overseas now we just we used to have eight refineries we're now down to two um and we don't have much uh, we don't have much storage and even the government's solution of the, the liberal government um has injected some funds here will only get us to 32 days of uh of 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 fuel um look yeah. electric vehicles low hanging fruit um look they're fantastic cars um they don't ruin your weekend and you can tow a boat so um you know that's that's the reality. i mean we've got some problems in that the some of the standards around the tow bars, for example, uh, are not settled and so you know, we end up with some you know, problems with uh, you know, cha- you know, charging connections and, and, and yeah. things like that not matching and all that ought to be sorted out. But t- to me, it is the future. It's not like the government has to make a choice here. It's not like the government has to decide. Uh, the car manufacturers have already done that. There are countries. Other countries have already decided. That's right. So there are other countries that have 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 put the uh, put a ban on the uh, uh, sale of new internal combustion engine vehicles uh, Mm. beyond uh, sort of twenty twenty five or twenty thirty or at least there's a number. Mm. And and, you know, just setting that number, which we haven't done, just (laughs) setting that number drives the market. It sends a signal to the market. And look, we've just not done well. I, mean, I, I question,
2: be... I guess, that comes back to that question: what, like, why, why haven't we? Given we don't have a domestic car industry to support, or, or you know, even paying, paying politicians to, to I'm assuming they're not, they're no longer, yeah you know, supporting political parties in, in in a big way, given they're not local manufacturers anymore. Why do you think there's been no movement on the legislation?
1: Oh, look, I, I, um, uh, I just can't explain that. Um, mm. I, I think this is a case where the government should have taken the ball and run and run with it again yeah. just just by setting a date by which uh, ic vehicles leave the market sends yeah. a strong signal to 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 the market um, yeah. uh, altering fuel standards uh, and emission standards uh, uh, again sends uh, sends further signals it is low hanging fruit there are almost no downsides One 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 say they're unqualified, uh, to having electric vehicles, it's an obvious choice. The choice has actually been made for the government. And, you know, look, at least the Albanese government is doing something in the space. Um, well,
2: well, but I was about to say, isn't isn't that the part of the issue is to go, there's an ideological decision has been made by one party to say we're going to take an extreme position and, and for ideological reasons, and even though it doesn't actually benefit any Australians, we'll take it at this view. And so the Labor Party's just gone, as long as we're slightly to the, closer to the middle, then it doesn't really matter because we're we don't have to actually have a reasonable position. We just need to be slightly closer than the, than the than the people have taken an extreme position. And and is that I guess what I'm, I'm trying to look at if there's going to be any movement, and there just doesn't seem to be any movement. At the yeah, rate. again,
1: I I think uh, I think we've been weak on it, and I think what mm. will happen is the market will drive us rather right. than the rather than the other government. Other countries, I think that's a huge huge shame. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, I, I would love to you, you know one of the reasons i don't have an electric vehicle uh, i was alive to the fact that uh, that i wanted one was uh, apart from the fact i was a senator and i had to a south australian senator who had a, a massive electorate um, uh, where i needed a, an all-wheel drive four-wheel drive um, one of the problems i had was uh, i live in a, in, a, in a nice building but it's uh you know it's 30 20 30 years old mm. and you, you know you, it's an apartment building and you, you there's just no charging stations in the in the in the basement and yeah, you know, again just simple things you can do uh, at the regulatory level to say a uh, 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 building standards there shall be no new buildings built without uh, without electric yeah. charging points you know yeah. and they're, they're the sorts of things where you're where you're looking to the future and saying this is how we make a difference yeah but, um, g- coming back to the fuel security issue that is a, a massive issue that we have we've got the the um, Defense Minister standing up saying, "We've got to be alert. There's problems to our north. Uh, we uh, that those problems could manifest them not, not uh, manifest themselves not in a, an attack on Australia, but in a conflict in Asia, in mm. circumstances where that's where most of our fuel comes from. Well, well if it's you, all thought about in 32 days. We'll be fine, won't we? That's well, like, uh, <laughs> no, and look the, if you run through the legislation, you'll see that uh, right now we've got 22 d- days of diesel." Mm. the moment the signal goes up that uh, that we're not going to get supplies um, uh, the government have to go through a consultation process with the state governments it will take a, a few days to actually start rationing and and the, all of the uh, the legislation directs fuel to defense to um, uh, police ambulance um, uh, the, those those sorts of um, abilities Um mm. And not on those lists are the very trucks that transport our food around, transport our uh, our medicine around. You know, most people would, you know, perhaps don't realise that petrol stations have about three days of petrol uh, mm. in store. That pharmacies have about seven days of medical um, uh, uh, prescription drugs. Um, that hospitals generally have less than seven, uh, mm. and just imagine what will happen when our transport logistics system, which relies exclusively almost on diesel, suddenly comes to a grind. All of that panic you saw during COVID on toilet paper, which is made here in, in South Australia, there was yeah. never <laughs> any uh, supply-related issue with it. Hmm. Um, just imagine the panic in a, in a situation where actually really, the supermarket will run out of food in seven days' time. Yeah. And uh, there will be no drugs in seven years' time in seven days' time. And
0: mm. we've got a
1: government that is just not doing... They're going to spend uh, $368 billion on a nuclear-powered submarine program that won't deliver us anything or do anything for deterrence in the time frame in which we think things are going to blow up. Um, mm. uh, and, uh, and all of that, uh, um, you know, doing nothing about what I think is a much much more serious problem for mm-hmm. uh, you know, for Australia. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I sort of almost want to touch on the subs, but I'm, I'm
2: worried that might take a bit longer. Before I, want, before I get to that, let's. Um, uh, okay That's my
1: favourite topic. So uh, right. yeah, there you go. <laughs>
0: we'll go quickly to you, Sam, and then uh, we'll talk future fund. We'll be back again shortly. If you like what you're hearing, but want a low cost passive option, Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia. The first generation of passive investing was index funds. The next gen was ETFs. Now direct indexing is here with significantly more customization and control. The benefit of direct indexing is you can add or subtract investment themes, and we have almost 100 different options to choose from. For example, you could buy an international share direct index portfolio that excludes fossil fuels and arms manufacturers, and has a tilt towards cybersecurity and cloud computing. Alternatively, you could buy a portfolio with no screens and an extra exposure to nuclear power and defense contractors. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show. So Rex, we've had some questions come through from, from our viewers. Uh, one from Shelly, and uh, back on the, the subject of the gas, she's asking why hasn't the trigger been pulled yet and uh, what's the ideal position on gas? So
1: the trigger hasn't been pulled yet because, uh, because uh, when it, as I sort of explained, when it was first introduced where there was a, a, a actual shortage of gas, um, people weren't able to get contracts. As soon as the trigger came into place, the the gas companies responded to it and um, made, made sure there was always just enough. Uh, and so if there's just enough, you can't pull the trigger. And then uh, then when the trigger was advanced, um, they've, uh, they've managed again to uh, basically manipulate things so that it just sits within the boundaries of what is uh, considered to be okay. And that's why it hasn't ever been pulled.
0: Yeah. Okay, and and what's what's the ideal position? Is it just a reservation policy, or what are your thoughts on
1: that? Well, okay, I think the, the ADGSM guarantees we will always have supply, um, but I think we need to have, um, uh, yeah, perhaps a couple of measures. Uh, one of them is a gas reservation policy uh, moving moving forward, at least. But in my view, there's there is a case for a retrospective. Um, uh, gas reservation policy. Um, and, uh, look, uh, I think we have to also start thinking about weaning ourselves off gas um, to the extent possible. Now, that doesn't mean we go nuclear. Uh, uh, a lot of people talk about nuclear. Um, I've been to sea on a nuclear-powered submarine. I'm not afraid of uh, of, of uh, uh, a reactor. I've slept very close to one. Um, but my view on that is that is that we'll end up... Um, uh, if someone were to make an investment, and right now there's not, not bipartisan support, so there's no chance of that happening. But were there to be bipartisan support, um, the, um, uh, the 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 first electron that would flow from uh, any nuclear reactor built in Australia is 10 to 15 years away, and by that time we'll we'll have sorted out the baseload problem with with renewables. So, um, look. Uh, I think we just have to be strong against these um, multinationals uh, Mm. and make them, uh, force them uh, to operate within a proper social licence.
0: Yeah. Yep. okay, excellent. And we've got one more question here. It's a bit of a curly one from Jude. Um, So they're saying that they worry that the Liberal Party isn't an effective opposition. Uh, Do you think the Liberal Party, do you think the next Liberal Prime Minister is in the Parliament today?
1: I don't think the next Liberal Prime Minister is uh, in um, is in the opposition leader's seat. Um, uh, look, you know, I, I look at uh, the electorate and the way things have uh, changed. Uh, we've seen uh, the, the the Greens have been growing in in. Uh, popularity, particularly with younger people, uh, and uh, what what that's done is shifted the the Liberal Party, uh, uh, sorry, the Labor Party, a little bit to the left to try and recapture some of that mark that voting market. Um, uh, but uh, we've uh, we've seen the the Liberal Party move further to the right, which has opened the gap for the Teals. Um, and I think uh, I've been watching the Liberal Party, and there's you know they're suggesting, you know, some within the Liberal Party are suggesting they need to go further right, and that is just going to alienate further moderates that are in the centre that would normally vote for the Liberal Party. They may not vote for the the Labor Party. uh, uh, So that's all pretty good news for the Teals. Um, Whereas if the the Liberal Party were to shift back towards the centre, they would recapture a whole bunch of votes and probably not lose the right wing. Uh, extremists along the way. Um, so uh, Peter Dutton has not um, uh, driven things in that direction. You might recall how uh, um, Malcolm Turnbull was overthrown. We had the NEG, the um, uh, National Energy Guarantee, um, uh, where we were trying to um, balance out uh, relatively inexpensive electricity that was clean and reliable. Uh, The NEG was the solution to that, uh, and it's the thing that caused the party room disruption where Peter Dutton tried to take the leadership. Um, He was unsuccessful, uh, and uh, Scott Morrison won out. Uh, Now, uh, again, we're seeing opportunities for the Liberal Party to um, to, to, to recognise the the need to deal with climate change, to recognise that the electorate is... Uh, you know, w- wants some action in that space, uh, and yet again, um, Peter Dutton uh, is is doing is doing nothing. He's he's um, he, yeah, he's he drives along looking in the rear vision mirror. He's got no leadership in terms of setting the direction of the com- country and responding to the things that are going on around us um, because he's got a a right a right uh, wing um, uh, party Basically. base that that yeah. uh, that. Yeah, you know, that he has to, that his leadership is dependent on. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think the liberals are in a bit of trouble. Hmm.
2: Okay, let's let's jump back to investment because I want to don't let you escape without digging, having a go at some of our competitors. <laughs> so, so I guess our we often what, you know one of our pitches is you know you should be able to see every stock you've got in your portfolio. Um, you know, if you've got a superannuation fund, you want to know every single stock. If you want to knock out stocks that don't match human rights or diversity, or you know. Carbon or whatever it is, you can you can knock them out, Um, and and also know that that's playing with the rest of it. So so if you're say you're you're heavily involved in banking, you might want to cut out all the banking stocks because you know you've already got that in your own personal portfolio. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's our our take, Um, and and that everything should be listed. The the unlisted assets can be you know the problem with unlisted assets is they can be valued at at incorrect values, prices, and and certainly if you look through unlisted assets owned by a lot of superannuation funds. they they didn't mark them down you know in in, all the listed stuff fell by sort of 10 20 percent and and a lot of the unlisted stuff is it it hasn't really been marked down from its highs or it's been sort of a a fraction of that um now you've rex you've made a number of uh freedom of information requests about the future fund and um i guess their practices are sort of open the floor to you in terms of what they're what you're seeing there and and what you're trying to
1: track down it's interesting, when I was in the Senate, uh, there was a, a bill that went through um, or was presented uh, that, that, where one of the provisions was to uh, it preclude the future fund from uh, freedom of information laws and uh, my, myself and um, most notably Senator Nick McKim, who was a Green senator, fought to, to kill that off and, and eventually the bill ran out of time and it didn't go through. Um, so I'm now enjoying the fruits of my own... Uh, Thanks for that. Yes, of my own um, efforts. Um, And I have FOI'd the Future Fund on two occasions. One was uh, designed to look at uh, the distribution of investment across a range of different countries. So what were they investing in China versus India uh, versus um, other uh, jurisdictions? And in in, uh, some cases, uh, we were seeking uh, jurisdictions where you know, there, there are human rights abuses or there are uh, you know, considerable national security concerns. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, uh,
2: on a sort of related note as well, I, I, it's sort of that I noticed the, the US, there's been a lot of play over there about the US military actually investing in companies, state-owned entities in China that were a part of the, the Chinese military. And you're like, just a minute, you have your yeah. own military yeah. investing in assets of, of your enemy, you know, or yeah.
1: people who, who, who are... Anyway. Yeah, so that became a little bit revealing. I've written an article on, on Michael West in relation to that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the second one that I did was looking at uh, investments in tax havens. Again, uh, you can't have a treasurer who's saying, um, I, I, I want to eliminate multinational tax avoidance <laughs> uh, that has a uh, future fund that sits not not directly under his control, but he can issue directions to them. Um, mm. uh, and that is actually engaging in in investments in in tax haven countries. I think there is a duplicitous, uh, uh sting to that. And uh, again, yeah, FOI is just it, it has been used to uh, to. Uh, you know shine a light on on these investments and let people understand uh what it is the government's doing you know transparency doesn't uh doesn't ever change anything; it causes pressure to to have people change things and you know if I look at uh you know the norwegian the equivalent of the future fund yeah. uh yeah you, know, you, you can go online and see exactly which stocks are that that the, they're invested in exactly what they've been invested in, and that should be the way it is. For a an Australian um, mandatory uh, uh, government operated uh, future fund, that uh, should just yeah. be the way it that's is. Good. So, yeah that that uh, that that would be my um, my pitch.
2: Yep. No, huge. As I said, investing that's uh, in, uh, transparency is the key and letting people know because because if they don't if they know what's in there, then they can choose to exclude it. And that's yeah, that's exactly the problem i think in terms of those um yeah that's what we're seeing there uh okay so well we don't have heaps of time um but uh do you want to open up on your favorite subject i guess or, or i guess it's probably i suppose it's up to you as to how much time you think you have we're well, happy to keep, the, keep um, the tape rolling but
1: what I, do you want uh, to say about subs i know i'm supposed to be helping a, a, a senator in background uh shortly but on, on submarines what i will say is this um uh the program that we have uh are embarking upon is in my view uh, a national security disaster and likely an economic disaster. Three hundred and sixty-eight billion dollars uh, on one all in all eggs in one basket uh, defense uh, solution. Uh, you could we could buy uh, uh, twenty off-the-shelf designed submarines. Uh, uh, build them here in Australia, so that we have the complete ability to support and sustain them uh, for about thirty billion dollars, and then we can take the other uh, three hundred and thirty-six billion and do so much more, so much more in the defence space, so much sport, uh, so much more in the fuel security space, so much uh, more in the uh, industry resilience uh, space. Now, I would love to see us map out. Um, uh, all the necessary things for our for our country to function and make sure that we 've got uh, critical industries in some sense being supported by government uh, mm-hmm. but instead we're going to invest in this program that you know people talk about the excitement of nuclear reactors nuclear reactors are seventy years old by the time we uh, get get them, the technology will be a hundred years old and the interesting thing is that's the that's the the in some sense the novel bit for Australia we'll be getting these reactors. Um, that the US Department of Defence will not let us use anywhere else. It will be uh, a, a sunk cost to defence that we know benefits that flow on to to industry um, and to the Australian economy generally. It is just all going to be cost. And um, uh, and it delivers us a submarine, in the you know, first one in 2033, uh, in circumstances where people are much more worried about a China-Taiwan conflict erupting, uh, before then uh and 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 then the bizarre thing is we take we go off we we get some virginia class submarines which uh at least they're sea proven uh we're getting second hand versions of them uh we've done that with the us navy before and run into trouble um in relation to two ships Canimbla and menorah um uh, back uh in the you know around about 2010 um uh, but then we're going to jump off the the, the pathway where we've got a, a submarine that we know that the US Navy operates, but at least they know a lot about it, we're going to jump onto a, uh, a new design of submarine out of the UK. The UK's submarine industry is a basket case. The, the last submarine that, that, that's just come out of refit, HMS Vanguard, went in for um, a three-year refit, came out seven years later. <laughs> um uh, and 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 it really, really it seems like a long time to me yeah. and, 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 yeah. and then and then you know all of their all of their design programs have been late and over budget most people will not know this but the first ever nuclear submarine in the in the british navy uh was in fact uh um HMS vanguard which was a um uh, a, a a nuclear powered Uh, their first ever nuclear-powered submarine, uh, entered into service uh, 43 years ago, spent 17 years in service and still has not been dismantled. None of their 22 um, retired nuclear submarines have been dismantled. Some of them have had the reactor taken out of them, uh, but most of them sit there um, still in in a sort of grave dockyard, um, not having been dealt with. And this is the this is the uh, the country that we're going to partner with. I mean, it's a it's a you know, Paul Kitting got this exactly right. We're looking backwards in thinking that we want to have this Anglo arrangement. The the UK is in decline. Um, Brexit Brexit has been a disaster for it, um, and uh, uh, yet yeah, that's who we're hooking our cart uh, our cart to. It mm. just seems the whole thing seems. Bizarre, And, you know, this is a submarine program that will be delivered by a department that has, um, that, that has uh, managed to spend $4 billion of taxpayers' money on not getting an attack class submarine, has taken our hunter class future frigate program from $30 billion to $46 billion, has built um, uh, landing craft to go inside landing ships that don't fit. Uh, When they replaced uh, the ones that didn't fit, they were too heavy to put tanks on uh, and float. Um, Yeah, so don't fit, don't float. Um, uh, A battle management system for the Army that uh, that, uh, 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 never made it into service, sea sprite helicopters that never made it into service, it's just a project... um, uh, um, Project management minefield inside the Department of Defense, and that's who we're going to hand this hand this project to. It just, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. um, I, I just don't think it's the right pathway. I'm a submariner. I think submarines are really important, uh, but I think there's a much better way for us to do this. And uh, sadly, um, uh, sadly, we've jumped onto a path. You know, uh, Albanese committed to this submarine uh, in 24 hours on the 16th of of uh, September uh, 2021, Scott Morrison came out with his big announcement. Um, what it was, his biggest media stunt. Managed to rope in the U.S. president and the Prime Minister of the UK. Yeah, uh, yeah 24 hours earlier, um, Albanese had been briefed on it, and because he didn't, because he was running a a um, small a, ca- a small target campaign, he just yeah. said. I'm going to go along with this. He didn't want to have any differenti- uh, differentiation, so we're going down this pathway because of politics, not because of se- uh, common sense. Yeah.
2: Yes. Excellent. What a what a note to finish the show on. But, but actually, what actually I guess the question, uh, one of the questions that sort of I guess leads into you a little bit telling us more about what you're doing and how you're doing it is. Um, so you know, we obviously appreciate you doing these future uh, freedom of information requests and and trying to get transparency out there. Uh, what's in it for you? How how do you how do you make a buck out of this, or how do you? Okay, so I really enjoy. It,
1: I really enjoy doing this. There's a few streams that I have uh, uh, as a, as a transparency warrior. It's all it's all declared on my website. Uh, mm. So perhaps the baseline salary that I draw um, from my own company is is actually a result of a benefactor. Um, it's optical superstore um, they the the owner of that uh, who doesn't interfere with my activities just wants better governance and so right. he's he's, he's uh, uh, effectively paying for me and uh, uh, a PhD a very very smart guy uh, in who's got a hu- uh, huge amount of political experience to to help some of the teals and independence um, yeah. and I do that by Foiing in areas that are of interest to them, and then just doing general FOIs where we go, we think this is going to be an interesting area uh, to do an FOI. Um, oh. That that sort of covers off uh, at least a, a base uh, salary for me and my my colleague. Um, I also train now um, uh, Greens and Liberal senators in uh, in FOI. Uh, again, uh, I haven't had an up- I haven't had an inquiry from any Labor. Uh, senators or members um <laughs> but, but, like but once they're in opposition you might yeah, yeah exactly that's right. so um um and mm-hmm. look i also help people uh generally you know someone contacts me and says look i've got an interest and i've you know i'm also helping companies um out as well who mm-hmm. may want to make inquiries about what's going on inside government and they don't really want to be seen to be making those inquiries because you know government can be a little bit vindictive um yep. or f- officials can so mm-hmm. i i um you know if 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 some official wants to hate me they're going to have to get to the back of a very very long
0: line so uh
1: you know um the the you know so I'll do that on behalf of a of a company um and I also write for Michael West um media um from time to time when I've got uh, when I've got an opportunity mm, excellent okay so people
2: can jump on Michael West to see more of your stuff and if they want to help you out can they help out the transparency warrior if you're- well
1: Oh, yeah. I haven't really uh, because yeah, the of the Patreon page involved. Uh, yeah. Look, at some stage, if uh, if um, Mr. Melrose uh, uh, decides he does want to continue uh, down that pathway, I might reach out for help. Yeah. Excellent. excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for coming on. So, yep, yeah, no problems. Thank you, thank you, thanks to your uh, viewers.
0: Thank you, thank you, Rex. Uh, we've just got one quick last question. If you've got a moment, uh, it's around yeah. the freedom of information requests. And uh, I understand there's a lot of delays and rejections. And uh, uh, on your website, you say delay is the enemy of freedom of information. And I'd add to that, and transparency. So, is anything being done to fix these delays? And, or is it getting worse? And if so, is it by design?
1: Uh, look, again, lots of pressure coming from the parliament. Um, I've, I've um, uh, unfortunately, the FOI. Part of the office of the Australian office uh, office of the Australian Information Commissioner did not receive extra funding. Um, governments are not necessarily interested in uh, in funding transparency measures. Um, the, you know, again, they just wish those citizens would go away. You know, they're a bit annoying. Um, the, look, the one one big thing that I'm doing, and it's interesting. Uh, and very timely. Um, I've actually taken the information commissioner to court over uh, her unreasonable delays in responding to me. It's a matter in which the uh, the government has spent $780,000 in legal fees to try and argue that three years uh, uh, d- delay in an FOI review is a reasonable timeframe. Um, just something that you know, someone on the Swanson Street tram would just say that's that's, just crazy. Um, That matter um, uh, is in the federal court and the judgment gets handed down tomorrow. So um, uh, hopefully we'll have a judicial judicial, uh, ruling that sets out what is a reasonable timeframe and then everyone can jump on the back of that ruling uh, to uh, place demands um, and something has to give so that this system uh, doesn't collapse. I might also add that uh, Senator Shoebridge, uh, who I've been talking to in background, uh, has initiated an inquiry into FOI. uh, Submissions can be made uh, to the Senate um, by, I think, about the 5th or 6th of of June. Um, uh, I'll be making a submission and perhaps even attending there. uh, Again, that's about putting pressure Uh, to to improve the system. We should all be able to access information that the government has to either uh, allow us to engage in policy debate, not be presented with a fait accompli when the government feels like they want to tell us what they're doing. Uh, We get to see and contribute to the debate and the discussion and then we also get to scrutinise through uh, they, uh, through things like the FOI processes, and there's lots and lots of things that a senator has on, on, uh, or a member of parliament has in their toolkit to, to examine things. Questions on notice, question time, inquiries. They can use a speech to draw attention to something. The one thing a citizen can do, without asking anyone's permission, is put in an FOI request in an area of interest, uh, and uh, the starting point. Section 11 of the Freedom of Information Act says that every person has a legally enforceable right to access uh, information in, in accordance with the Act. Um, so everyone can be their own little MP uh, and and put in requests to look at uh, various different aspects of uh, how the government is operating. It, it can be a minefield. Uh, I can help people out in that space, but uh, um, that that it, it is a it, it is a a gift that is given to us, it's been given to us by the Parliament, been recognised by the High Court as part of, uh, a as an essential part of uh, a system of responsible government. Uh, and uh, again, uh, it has to be fixed. And I'd love to see more people getting involved and engaged in, in keeping a, an eye uh, on the government.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Rex. Thank you for your time. Thanks for all the work you do. Uh, If you need to go, we understand. We're just going to do our question of the week and our outro. But, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And, um, yeah, thanks thanks for everything you do and keep up the great work. Thank you. Excellent. So now we have our question of the week. This is for viewers to have some discussion in the comments section over the coming days. The question for this week is, what's the most important change you'd like to see from our government and politicians? So feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. Uh, Damo, again, thank you for
2: putting cool. on the show. I'll just, I'll just do a quick um, quick bit on, on the investment side as well because it's probably worth, yeah. you know, just just distilling, I guess, my thoughts from from that is, you know, really what I'm looking for uh, or what I was looking for from, from Rex was, you know, uh, is there anything that I should – is there anything – Urgent on on the border that you know really should be watching in terms of changes in uh, electricity policy, changes in uh, EVs, changes in um, uh, you know defense, all these types of things we're talking about, and and really the answer is no. Um, I think there's a lot of um, noble sentiments, and, and you know I think he'll I think he's he'll be happy to 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 front up to those, but but there doesn't look like there's a lot of action happening in any of these. And so, you know, while I'd encourage people to help try and get action in these, uh, you know, as an investment perspective, you do need to look and say, well, the incumbent uh, companies are, are doing a good job of managing the situation and and, and managing to keep their, um, you know, their, their, their stouts in the trough. And so, you know, you, you can't invest differently.
0: Excellent. And uh, I'd just like to add to that as well uh, for some of the viewers and some of our investors, uh, if you want to invest sort of uh, you know, ethically, we we have a range of different screens and tilts available. And some of the screens that you could potentially utilize uh, in this theme of transparency and trust, uh, you could exclude undemocratic countries. Uh, you can exclude economically repressed countries, morally repressed countries. We also have screens around human rights, no immigration detention, and no jails as well. Uh, so that pretty much wraps us up for today. Um, So yeah, if, if you enjoy our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel now and click the bell below to make sure you don't miss out on any special episodes and future content. Also like the video now, and if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you please share it with them. We do put out a lot of other content in addition to this podcast, there's regular articles that are featured in the AFR, the Australian, First Links and many other major publications. Um, you can check this out at nukillswealth.com and you could subscribe and you'll get our weekly nucleus news and investment insights. We do welcome your p- feedback on this podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comment section below or send us an email at contact at And so for myself, Damien and the rest of the team at Nucleoswealth, thanks for watching and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.